Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Take it, John. Welcome to Boxes and Lines to <laughs> Amy Magnata. Yeah. Magnata. Magnata. That's his attempt at the introduction to our guest, but yes, I, no, I'll do sorry. the proper attempt. Yeah, we're excited to have Amy Magnata, Co-Chief Investment Officer at Atheginos Capital, joining us today. And we, if just you had to, we just had to tell him how to pronounce <laughs> yes, that. He yes. didn't know it. Yeah, I, you it should see how I've written it on my piece of paper so that I pronounce <laughs> that correctly. <laughs> but um, I think I did do that. Uh, Amy brings over 20 years of experience in asset management. Uh, prior to moving to Atheginos in October, she was with Brinker Capital for 16 years as head of discretionary portfolios, overseeing a wide range of multi-asset class portfolios and multi-manager mutual funds. And if that's not impressive enough, she also spent time at BlackRock, where she honed her skills in managing institutional client services. And today, she's here to share her perspective on current market trends and investment strategies. And I'm all out of air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all out of air and out of ideas. Um, well, welcome, anyway. <laughs> Amy. Take it away. <laughs> welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So you guys just launched uh, earlier this year. So it's quite, quite fresh as a new entrant. It is. It is. So we um, launched, we came together kind of late in 20 or in 2022 and then officially launched here um, in 2023 um, as we registered with the SEC as an investment advisor. And while we made fun of myself, not your name, not the name of your firm, mm-hmm. but maybe you could tell us where, where that name derived from. We got a little education listeners right before this. Sure. So Athogenos uh, is a Gaelic word for rebirth, reborn. Um, one of our, actually our um, COO's wife came up with the name um, and our logo, which is impressive. For us, we all came, there's 12 of us here. We were all at a um, previous firm, Brinker Capital. So coming together here at Athogenos, trying to um, build build something um, to serve financial advisors and, and bring the experience that we all have uh, in doing that. So we're excited. That's Thank great. You. And just as a little icebreaker, um, Amy's coming to us live from uh, Philadelphia today. We don't like Philadelphia sports fans. No, I'm only That's joking. not true. Speak for yourself, Ronan. <laughs> I'm a New York Giants fan. Like them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he is. But the yeah. rest of us are not oh, similarly yeah. inclined. So, you're But you're very welcome on our podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, are you, are you. you from I know, Philadelphia area, Amy? I, I am. I grew up in the suburbs here in Philly. Um, I went to school in Pennsylvania, and then I um, I spent a few years in New York City working, uh, but then came back. Couldn't leave Philly too long. <laughs> and we are very passionate about sports. I think yeah. that's... <laughs> I got to tell you, your, your fans are like uh, crazy when they come to like Giant Stadium. Now, uh, I can't talk smack about the... the the, the teams because your team is way better than us at the moment but mm, um that's for sure our yeah. fans are nicer. yeah it was a tough day here <laughs> yesterday after the brutal loss <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think it's part of philly to be defensive about your sports team so i think we're and being uh sports fans uh we're not all bad um i've been to giant stadium i don't think they were that nice either but it's been <laughs> a decent run in philly but we haven't won a ton so still waiting yeah, well, the COO of our exchange, Stan Feldman's from Philly, and he's passionate. He he is very yeah. passionate, as yeah. those Philly friends um, tend to be, and we we respect that, even if Ronan doesn't like them. 
So, Amy, I know that uh, from listening to some other interviews, you, you uh, sort of given your thoughts on the Fed and interest rates. It's, it feels like assumptions about what the, whether the Fed is done or not overhang people's projections about what's going to happen with equity markets and the broader economy generally. And it sounded as of, you know, mid-month, last month, uh, you weren't sure that they were done, but everybody seems to be assuming that the Fed is probably done raising rates. They just don't want to say it. What what are your thoughts about that? Maybe what you, you could shorten it by half. For <laughs> fuck's sake. Amy had to go to her next meeting. You know, it's fucking two o'clock. I think today, I think they're they're done. Um, so we even had um, Governor Waller come out last week last week and um, put cuts on the table for spring 2024. So, and then they try to walk it back. So they keep, um, you know, depending on who's speaking that day, but I really think, you know, they're done. Inflation has come down, but they can't say they're done because they need inflation expectations to kind of stay lower. So um, they can't let those go out of, um, out of control again. And then they might have to, to walk that back. So I, I think we could see some maybe targeted rate cuts at next year. If inflation comes down, they're kind of left the door open. So it doesn't even need to be, um, you know, growth can still be okay as long as inflation is coming down to their target. Right. Well, and I'll tell you why this matters to me personally, especially is that over, (laughs) over seven years ago, I refinanced my mortgage and I stupidly got an arm, uh, you know, (laughs) figuring that I would hold on to the, I I would definitely sell the place within the next seven years. And so, of course, that didn't happen. Now (laughs) rates, perfect storm, rates have jacked up. I'm now at like, you know, nearly 7% interest rate. So I'm thinking, you know, are they ever going to come down? And you think we'll solve it on this podcast? Well, I don't know, but I, I yeah, would Why help if you arm? could. For God's I mean, sake. G- g- give I me know. like a- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think that should have been a 2021 uh, lock in a 30 year fix, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> now we have guests abusing you. Oh, this is now. Great. Yeah, you're his new favorite guest. E A G L E S. Classic. All right. All right. Let me, let me go. I have a question for you because in answering the Athegenos uh, name, mm-hmm. you'd mentioned, um, that many of you had come from Brinker Capital. Um, so I guess, I guess you've all recently transitioned there. And now in your new role as co-CIO, uh, could you highlight the regions or areas that are currently the focus for generating alpha? And a follow-on question to that is, what makes these areas stand out in your current investment strategy? Sure. Um, so the way we think about building portfolios and our solutions really are you know, for clients in uh, $10,000 minimum investment in a model portfolio up to a, you know, multi-million dollar kind of customized portfolio. We have the same investment philosophy and try to build the same types of portfolios. How we think about it is being very flexible in our portfolio construction process. So we look at core exposures. Um, so we're broadly diversified. So we're going to be in U.S. equities, international equities, fixed income alternatives, and we're going to get some cheap Kind of inexpensive beta exposure in, in some of those asset classes, like U.S. large cap or international developed core fixed income. And then we're going to complement that with multiple alpha drivers. And, and what those are for us are tilts. So they could be you know, asset class over underweights, sub asset classes over underweights. You know, we had a value overweight last year. Um, we don't, we're kind of, uh, neutral right now, but you know, those types of, um, tilts within asset classes. And across asset classes, whether we want to be over or underweight 
so U.S. versus international equity. And then um, a second alpha driver would be thematic exposures. So these can come up from some of our macro research and some of um, our own internal thoughts about where there's opportunity that we can take advantage of. So a couple of those. And and when you say thematic, can you give a a couple of examples? Yeah. So today, uh, Japan has been a theme in our portfolios, Japanese equities, since we launched the firm and, and launched our portfolios. That's an area where we think is pretty attractive for a few reasons. You know, valuations, attractive. Some companies have better shareholder uh, friendly policies now. You know, monetary policy was relatively easy compared to the rest of the world. So those types of things feed into our, our view that um, Japan should be an overweight in a portfolio. And sometimes our themes could be shorter term in nature or, or intermediate term in nature. Short term for us is kind of six six months. Um, so Japan's been a little bit more uh, longer than that. So intermediate term. And we we get exposure to that through, we're just using a broad-based ETF today. So we're using just to get a you know, broad-based exposure to, to the market. Um, and some other areas like in natural resources have been a theme, um, infrastructure in the US, and we can talk about that. But those types of opportunities, uh, we also think we can add value through. And then the third way is just through including some active management. We've been pretty experienced in finding active managers that we think can add value across asset classes. So we're going to put them into the portfolio when that makes sense. And, and Japan is an interesting um, example, too, because the rap on Japan for you know so, so many years was that sort of in long term de- decline, long period of deflation, um, even demographic, you know, the adverse demographic um, trends, et cetera. But that in your view has turned around or at least there are other countervailing factors that uh, sort of get uh mean that there's better prospects going forward? Yes, I think they've, you know, at least for gotten somewhat out of that um, deflationary environment. And they're really committed to growth and earnings growth in some of the companies has been pretty strong. So we think it's attractive. Also, valuations compared to what we're seeing in the U.S. are pretty attractive there as well. And I think just to your point, it's it's been under-owned institutionally. So people yeah. have been pretty underweight um, and down on Japan. Um, so really any move to maybe even a neutral weight or an overweight um, will be a tailwind. That was a very intelligent question. Well, thank for you, John. you. I know. Right uh, after Ronan we just like looked at me like you know, well, with I, wonder. I, that, I don't know. He was just telling like, us he has a seven-year arm. I can actually look together. Yeah. 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 Hey guys, I did the well, dumbest thing on my mortgage, <laughs> and then he blacked out and asked a really good question. Well, I on, thought I had to yeah. try to redeem myself. In you, some you did. Way. You did almost. Yeah, thank you. You did, uh, Amy. You mentioned uh, infrastructure in the U.S. What, what's yeah. what's that about? Yeah, I think uh, so. There's been, uh, you know, some of the policy towards infrastructure, um, infrastructure investment and jobs act, uh, in 2021, uh, 2022, the, some of the inflation reduction act was uh, geared towards infrastructure in the U.S. So I think this is a, um, an area where, you know, the money, you know, it takes quite a bit of time for that to move uh, in in the government. So the money hasn't even been allocated or spent yet. So that could be a tailwind for companies in the U.S. related to infrastructure. Again, we're going to allocate to it through a broad-based um, ETF. We're not going to pick individual companies because we're much we're more asset allocators and just thinking about the theme broadly. But that could be a um, something we think. 2023 has been a good environment for that. Um, and we think that can continue into early 2024. 
So 2024, as uh, all of us know and are reminded const- constantly, is an election year. Um, it's in, in particular an election year that is likely to uh, Spicy. Uh, yes, create <laughs> create more than usual yeah, yeah, level of volatility, um, particularly. How, how do you think about um, navigating those choppy waters, um, yeah. if you will, uh, sort of going into this election year? That's a podcast yeah. pro question. Yes, well thank done. you. Thank you. <laughs> I think it certainly um, will spark volatility. I mean, election years seasonally tend to be back end loaded, so a little bit you know more flattish coming into the election and then rally post-election once there's some sort of certainty. But also in past, um, and I don't think the S&P has been, uh, has declined in an election year when the president is seeking re-election, I think since 1950-something. So, but this year, I, I don't see a lot of appetite for stimulus. Not not necessarily appetite, but the ability to get anything done. Yeah. Um, so that could be something that maybe is a little bit where we had in previous election years um, and that we don't have this cycle. Right. So if we do end up with a not just a soft landing, but some kind of, you know, sort of soft recession or whatever in in circumstances where you might think there would be a stimulus response, that's less likely to happen now just because of the political dysfunction, shall we say. I agree. And I think it would have to be much worse than a a soft recession or a mild recession to really get something going. Yeah. It's as if you Thank guys you. met for coffee before. Well, you know, prep, you know, it's just, you know, two <laughs> yeah. smart people just talking about interesting topics. So, Amy, we, we're, a, we're a stock exchange. So in a lot of uh, cases, we deal with, like, the actual execution of the trade as opposed to, like, the asset allocation itself and regulatory changes and this type of stuff. So that's uh, that's why I'm letting John ask some wonky questions here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's go back to uh, <laughs> more reasonable questions. I, now th- this one is actually interesting to me. With, with your extensive experience in active management, how do you see the trends and outlook for active managers versus passive strategies in the coming year? Yeah, I, I think it's shaping up to be a pretty good environment for active management. I, certainly that QE environment is difficult for active managers to really add value. So I think we'll see a little bit more differentiation this year has been difficult too, um, with just how narrow the market's been, and we tend to see when markets are that lopsided, you know, cycles mean reversion, and, and we'll see some broadening out. But I think it'll be a good environment for active management. We tend to try to focus on more concentrated managers that have high active share that really look different than a benchmark because we're going to pair them with you know, some broad passive exposure, and we like to focus on active in areas where it makes more sense in say small cap for example where they're in small cap companies i think it's 40 percent of the russell 2000 around are not earning um, so you don't want to be invested in passive there you want higher quality companies so we're going to find an active manager there that makes sense but i mean we can find active good active managers in large cap space it's just a matter of making sure they have the the skill and again we like those concentrated managers give them a better opportunity to really add value Cool. Thank you. And we've, we've talked about it a few times that we're, we're coming up on the end of 2023. So curious what you think the lasting impacts of 2023's market performance on investment strategies and decision making. I think coming into 2023, everyone was calling for a recession, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and we knew the Fed was going to have to raise rates to get inflation under control. And we didn't see a recession and we barely saw a slowdown. I mean, growth's pretty strong still in the third quarter and positive here in the fourth quarter. So 
I think ignoring some of that noise coming in and making sure that you know, you're in a portfolio that you can stick with and um, and make sense for you know your time horizon, your objectives, and ignore some of that macro um, talk. I mean, I think the bearish case always sounds a little smarter. And then the other thing I would say, just how narrow the market was this year. You know, looking at the indexes, it kind of masks what actually went on. So, looking at um, you know large cap, mega cap growth compared to small cap value, there's a huge dispersion. So there was some opportunity there. And I think looking forward, there'll be opportunity in some of those areas that were kind of left behind in 2023. So you think there may be a change, a a sort of rebalancing or a change in terms of uh, large cap versus smaller cap stocks? Um, I think, yeah, I think small caps look just on a valuation basis, pretty attractive relative to large cap. We still... um, like large cap and even the large cap mega cap, you know, the magnificent seven, they're still growing. And so, um, but I think there'll be some opportunity potentially outside of that in 2024. I never heard the term, the magnificent seven. That sounds like a a Marvel comics movie. Yeah. I was going to go, it's probably a stupid question, but I I never, I've never heard of the magnificent seven either. It's like, uh, what people are calling now is like Netflix, Google, Microsoft. Uh, it's the new Fang. It's like Fang expansion. Yeah. 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 It's a better name than Fang actually, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In our space and trading and technology, right. We're getting smacked with, uh, you know, questions about AI, technology changes, data analytics, that type of stuff on the on the trading side. And I'm curious, you know, how you see the future of asset management heading, uh, particularly with things like AI or technology or data analytics or just changes in that space. Yeah, it's it's going to be pretty interesting. I think we're trying to really embrace that technology. I think anything that will help us make better, more well-informed decisions is going to be a positive uh, for our investors. So we're really going to embrace that. When we're trying to allocate assets to active managers, trying to understand how they're incorporating AI into their, their process and picking individual securities is interesting, uh, certainly going to boost some productivity in certain sectors and industries. So that's um, an opportunity. And then I think just our investors are going to be more well-informed with all the information that they have. And so we have to just do a good job communicating that and staying on top of, you know, what they want to know with all of that information at their hands, what is most important to them and what, and what should they pay the most attention to. Cool. Just say AI before anything. But your well, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's like, you know. That's the, our industries. The, uh, the term. Well, I think I'm going to turn my personal finances over to an AI bot at this point. I think, um, you know, hopefully be better at picking, uh, making. I won't uh, even bring up the arm again. I, yeah, right, I was going to say, I wonder yeah. what it would say about The AI robot would fire him. <laughs> you yeah. you your, idiot. Your money is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, this will not work. <laughs> you have any other questions, John? I have more. <laughs> yeah. You've been in this business a while. You have uh, in, a, in a lot of different um, iterations. You obviously, uh, you know, as a woman, you have been very successful and have seen lots of different environments. Are there any kind Kind of personal perspectives that you would share uh, about the course of your career or pivotal moments or things that really made a difference or led you to where you are today? Yeah, um, I think, well, I graduated college in 2000. So entering this industry in at the right before the tech bubble was interesting times, more in an institutional environment. Um, I spent some time in private equity as well in an institutional environment. And I think the needs in of those institutional investors are much different. It's not the the 
what I'm working with now, which is more of an individual investor or financial advisor, um, those needs are, are, are a lot different. So for me, um, moving to, I moved to Brinker Capital in 2000, late 2006. So just before, um, the financial crisis. So, Learning what institutional investors need in those times of market stress versus what more um, individual investors need was a, a wake up call. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, you know, need a lot more um, communication and handholding and, and venting, um, you know, listening. And I think those were just two good environments for me to learn about, uh, about the industry and just what investors need. Um, and then you mentioned being a female, I think starting in 2000. We're now, you know, we're still underrepresented, I would say, but yeah. uh, even more so back in 2000. So finding that good and a female mentor for me, um, which I did when at BlackRock was, it was so helpful in getting through, um, you know, and learning from, you know, have so many bad meetings <laughs> in some of those environments oh, and just yeah. really getting through and how to, how to persevere on the other side and learn from that. I, I think it was very important and something, I, I mean, I have two daughters. One's getting ready to go to college. So, I, you know, those are trying things just, you know, find that person that you can really learn from. And hopefully people will return back to the office and there'll be able to, a better environment for that to happen. Oh, well, a amen. That also is a, <laughs> it's something we talk about often is, um, and also an interesting question is your views about the value of in-person collaboration um, and office attendance in the business that you're in. Because uh, there are people who sort of act like, uh, this can all be done remotely. There's no reason for people. And I, I really question that. I agree with you. I, I think, especially during times of market stress, where you want to kind of talk through different, um, you know, theses or just things that are going on. How does that impact uh, what we're working on in portfolios? How does it impact our clients? Those are things that it's just not the same, um, you know, remotely. So, and I think for just bringing young people on, uh, it's so important to be in person. Uh, and there should be certain times where I, I mean, there's certain times where I want to be at home and I want to read and think and write, and that's fine at home. But I think. Also, part of what we do in hiring active managers is doing interviews on site. It was used to be a big part of what we do. And we're kind of going back to that. It's so important to sit across the table and, and learn from, you know, understand the team, how the team operates. And then you can meet with more people and really get a good sense of, of that strategy and how it works and what drives performance. And that's, that's important and something I think we lost a little bit on doing it over Zoom. Uh, absolutely. The one thing that is good about Zoom is I've discovered there are filters that you can use that are that uh, will make me appear slimmer. So I, uh, you know, I've relied on those. But I, uh, yes, yes. Uh, and but, younger, you can use those. Too. Yeah. Well, absolutely. <laughs> or you can blur out the crazy shit in the background. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So we have we have one more question for you. We 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 used to ask every guest what their favorite Wall Street movie is and why, and then we got more fancy as of late. So mm -hmm. your question is, John. Yes, if you could give a one-sentence piece of financial advice, Amy, to your younger self, what would it be? I think it would be let your time horizon work for you. I think that's just the most important thing when you're younger is to build that wealth and start accumulating that wealth and, and take advantage of things like 401k matches when you don't really understand, yep. you know, why you're, why you're doing that. And I think it, it's so important to be able to start that early. So, and don't um, refinance with an arm. And don't, right. exactly. Yes. yes. No, Amy, you. you're, you're, you're so right. Cause I'm, I'm no financial wizard, but I was talking to one of the young guys on the desk because my daughter's a sophomore in college and my son's going into freshman year. And we did the 529s when they were like infants. 
And it's almost like college is free. We, we had to put the money away. That's but, right. But now I'm writing checks out of that account without having to actually go into money that I consider mine. Exactly. I think it's like a Venmo balance where you're just like, oh, that's exactly. free money. Exactly. It, <laughs> it feels free. It's, 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 it's amazing. So I'm very proud of myself. Thank yeah, you, John. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never had an arm. <laughs> and hopefully when you tell your kids that they'll think that that's a smart idea and they'll do it themselves. But Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, <laughs> they don't listen to me. Maybe they should listen to their mom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've been a fantastic guest. We appreciate you joining us. We have, and we don't we have a gift? And we we do have a gift, and I want to apologize for any negative comments I made on the on the Philadelphia fans. You're you're all right by us, Amy. Absolutely. All right. I appreciate it. And Thank everyone you so who much. joins gets a pair of IEX boxes and lines socks. socks. <laughs> we give you a pair of wonderful warm socks. I will I, I will say though, everybody does say the socks we give out are good. Normally when you get like tchotchke like socks, mm-hmm. they're like acrylic and crap. Ours are the real yeah. deal. So mm-hmm. you'll be very happy in the <laughs> IEX socks. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You've been delightful and um, smart and funny and um, we, we've enjoyed having you on and um, I, and I apologize. I would apologize for Ronan, but um, I can't do anything about him. So. Over and out. Boxes <laughs> yeah. and lines. Oh, good. Yeah. Thanks so much. Are you a diehard boxer or liner or just a fair weather fan? No judgments. I know how annoying JR's Irish accent can be. Either way, we want to hear from you on our new Boxes and Lines listener survey to find out what you think about the show, give input on future episodes, guests, and more. We'll take it back to our survey counter thingy machine and consider all of your inputs as we plan our 2024 season. You can find the survey at iex.getfeedback.com slash boxesandlines. And don't worry, there's something in it for you. That's my drum roll. JR could probably do it better. You get a pair of socks. That's right. Take the survey. We'll send you a pair of our coveted Box and Lines socks while supplies last in a new limited edition print. How's that for listener appreciation? So take the survey, tell us what you think, and thanks for listening. Again, that's iex.getfeedback.com slash boxes and lines over and out. Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Daisy Clace with support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. <laughs>